Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. Today I'm joined by Professor John Carl Helgeson, who is a professor at the Department of Icelandic and Comparative Cultural Studies at the University of Iceland. He is the author of several books on the modern afterlife of Icelandic medieval literature, including the rewriting of Njál's saga. But I want to talk about his most recent book, which is something that I've had the pleasure of reading over the past couple weeks, and it is called Echoes of Valhalla, The Afterlife of the Eddas and Sagas, which I highly recommend and I will put a link to in the description below. But Professor Helgeson, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. Well, I'll tell you, I very much enjoyed reading Echoes of Valhalla, and perhaps a good way to open the conversation today would be these stories and these myths that we find in in the Eddas and the sagas are so timeless, and I think they really have been proven to be timeless because they've lasted for so long, and as you most eloquently present in your book, we can see all sorts of traces from um, Old Norse and Viking Age literature in uh, medieval and even modern pop culture. But why do you think it is that these myths have lasted so long? Well, uh, I think because they're always being rewritten and redefined. And and when we think about timeless literature, usually uh, what really affects uh, classical literature is time. And and uh, and we tend to to think about old texts as something that 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 uh, has not changed through time, but but we tend to find new things in them and actually reinterpret them according to our own interests, our own times. So so timeless is a is a tricky tricky concept in this context. Certainly, and there's many. I mean, there's just a load of examples of you know how these myths have. Um, cropped up and made themselves relevant, and I don't think they've ever ceased to be relevant throughout history. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit about J.R.R. Tolkien, because I know that's something that um, people are very familiar with, his works, The Lord of the Ring and The Hobbit. So um, could you talk a little bit about, and I know you mentioned this in your book, how J.R.R. Tolkien used some of the works of the Eddas and Sagas um, that inspired his own mythic universes? Well, uh Definitely, he, he was uh, a specialist in, in, in uh, medieval literature, and he, he was teaching some of these Icelandic texts throughout his life. But interestingly, uh, he was not what I would call a, a rewriter of the Saras or the Eddas. He would uh, take inspirations, he would take names, scenes, maybe some character traits, but really he was creating his own mythological world maybe trying to create a myth for, for Britain that, that uh, didn't exist beforehand. But most of the authors I talk about, they, they are more directly uh, trying to uh, recast uh, certain Icelandic texts. So he, he's not actually typical what, for what I'm trying to map in my book. But in, in terms of influence, uh, especially with his uh, best-known literary works being uh, adapted uh, to the film medium i mean he he's he's really a person who is uh, inspiring a lot of the students we are getting here in iceland interested in the saras and, and the edda so he's he's definitely uh, a great promoter of both the both the saras and the eddas now you talk about rewriters and and i think i know what you mean by that uh you have a chapter of your book um titled snorri the real stories obviously referring to icelandic historian uh, Snorri Sturluson. So what is his relationship with 
some of these myths. Would you consider him a rewriter in that um, he composed his famous prose edda? Yeah, definitely he is. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to include him uh, is that well, he he's writing uh, both his his great work of of history, Heimskringla, and uh, Snorri's Edda. Uh, you know, a, a long time uh, after uh, Scandinavia has ceased to be a, a, a heathen society, or, or a, uh, and and uh, so he he's a Christian author and and. Uh, and he, uh, well, we, we tend to forget this, but he's really working from uh, material that, that he is uh, only partially familiar with. So he's, he's trying to invent the past in his works. But uh, then at the same time, he's writing from a Christian perspective. And, and I think when, when people are, are talking about modern rewriters or, or people who are recasting some of these old stories, they, they say, well, uh, this is wrong, you know, people are changing too many things, but Snorri is actually changing a lot of things himself. So there's not such a great difference between him and, and let's say, uh, uh, Stan Lee, who, who was responsible for, for bringing uh, Thor into the comic world of, of the United States. So, uh, but, but I, I've been criticized for that. Some of my reviews are, are, are not, don't agree with me on, on this issue, but uh, it's a debate I, I'm, I'm ready to take at any point. Yeah, no, I think that's a fascinating way of looking at it. Now, when Snorri did write and compose his prose Edda, what sources, and perhaps we don't know this, but what sources would he have used for his prose Edda? Where did he get these myths from? Well, a part of, a part of the source material he's working with are the Eddic poems, and, and uh, they, they are preserved in manuscripts, mainly one manuscript. Uh, some some uh, Eddic poems he, Snorri probably knew that we don't know, that have been lost. And then at the same time, we cannot be sure that uh, the texts he's working from are exactly the texts that have been preserved to this very day. But the scholars have been pointing out for the past uh, decades, I would say, that, that in some instances Snorri is, uh, you might say, misunderstanding things or changing things. Uh, there's a very clear example with one of the uh, Attic poems, Skirtnismal, uh, that uh, if you read the Attic poem, it, it's actually about uh, uh, a giant maiden who is forced to sleep with Freyr, the god Freyr. In, in Snorri's uh, interpretation, it's, it's a very romantic love story. So this is just one example of how he changes things. Uh, and... Uh, uh, so, so I, I would say really the, the the material we have, which is closest to the heathenness, are, are the Eddic poems, and and it, it's really interesting to see, you know, what Snorri picks up, what he doesn't pick up, and and how he just uh, uh, uses this material for for his uh, own purposes. And and we should remember that Snorri Edda is primarily uh, written to uh, help young poets to understand old poetry because it's always referring to these old myths. So, so it's, it's actually a textbook for, for uh, 13th century poets. How interesting. One more question on Snorri. Could it be said that when Snorri composed his prose Edda, that perhaps he sought to create a established canon for these myths? I mean, before that, they were 
primarily, I mean, well, they would have been oral traditions long before that, um, but they were primarily, you said, preserved in, in a few manuscripts. Well, well, I think what's interesting with Snorri that he's, he's trying to create, you might say a bit like Tolkien, he's trying to create a, a coherent uh, mythological world. Uh, when you read individual Eddie poems, you know, one poem might say things very different from what is being told in another poem. You know, the same mythological character may have different faces in different poems. So Snorri is really trying to make a whole out of it, a system. And, uh, and we should remember that uh, contrary to, to uh, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, the heathen religion is not based on one strong institution. It's not an institutionalized religion in the same way as, as the Christian Church is. And, and then you have Snorri coming and he's trying to make things fit together. And, uh, and this is actually something you also see with uh, Stan Lee and, and his co-workers at, at Marvel and, and younger uh, comic artists that, you know, these artists are always reading into the mythology, trying to find new sites and actually filling in into the gaps that, that you find in the old material. And, and, and this is really a big part of what Snorri is, is, is trying to do. Yeah, certainly. It's really interesting with Stan Lee and, um, you know, obviously the um, Marvel superhero, the mighty Thor, because those really surfaced at a time when perhaps many people didn't really know that much about, um, you know, sort of Norse mythology and the Norse gods. I mean, right now, you know, the stories of the poems of the um, Eddas and sagas are, I would say, fairly popular. Uh, but back in the 1970s and 80s, when those first came up, perhaps they weren't super popular. So do we know what really inspired Stan Lee to use these myths to create um, a superhero? Well, uh, well, I, I mentioned his name a couple of times, but actually I think Jack Kirby is, is, is more of the author of, of Marvel's uh, Mighty Thor tradition. Because uh, as I, I discussed a little bit in my in my book, uh, Jack Kirby, uh, who is usually at, uh, acknowledged for being the illustrator of the of the oldest uh, comics by Marvel, he was actually involved in a few comics in the 1940s and the 1950s where where Thor is uh, uh, a character. Uh, th there is also a very early comic from the 1940s. Uh, where, where Thor is actually a superhero. Problem is, we don't know if, uh, well, who, who was the author of, of this uh, series? We had five comic stories being published in the States in, in 1940. Uh, but actually, these, these stories were published by a company at the time, uh, well, a company where, where Jeff Kirby was working in, in this company. He might have been involved with this. I, I doubt it, though, but probably he knew about this. So, uh, but but you ask you know why why did they pick up on on the on the Nordic gods and and I I, I guess the, the the reply to that will be quite complicated uh, and what makes it really puzzling is that uh, Jack Kirby Stanley all of the artists working there in this uh, circle of artists and actually the owners of these uh, companies publishing these comic books they, they were more or less Jews artist of 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 a jewish origin and you you might ask you know why why did they you know even in the 1940s 
uh, recycle uh, the Nordic gods. And, and I think this has a lot to do with uh, the way in which the comic industry in the, the United States was trying to uh, press uh, the government to take part in, in uh, World War II. And, uh, and they, they did that in, in various ways. And one of the ways was actually to, to uh, get Thor and actually also Greek gods involved with... Uh, with human destiny during World War Two, or and and uh, so actually the earliest stories uh, you have Thor uh, helping out uh, Americans in in, a, in in their fight or fight that really hadn't started at the time with with uh, the Nazis. So, uh, like I say, it, it's a very complex way to explain this, and and I'm, it's an issue I'm still thinking about. Actually, I'm really curious. Um, I know that. The operas of Richard Wagner during the uh, 19th century were, you know, the Ring Cycle, which were um, really inspired by the sagas and Eddas, really uh, perhaps ignited the Victorians' interest in in Old Norse literature. But could you tell us a little bit about that? And for those who aren't familiar with uh, Richard Wagner's works, um, sort of um, what those are and how they encompass the the Eddas and sagas. Well, uh, he, he wrote uh, a cycle of four operas uh, that were uh, based on uh, primarily Icelandic, but you might call it uh, Germanic uh, mythological texts. Uh, and, and like Snorri and like Stanley, he, he of, of course uh, used this material as a, as a clay and he, he, he created his own stories, of course, you know, shaped the characters. But what's really interesting with his work, and he, I wouldn't say he's a pioneer, really the, the man who is igniting the interest, but he, his music became so, so popular, so influential, that it really uh, got a lot of other artists in, in various cultures interested in, in using uh, Scandinavian myth as a, as a source of inspiration. Uh, and even one, one of my theories is that when you look at the mighty Thor, especially in these early early comic books from the 1940s, some of them, well, some of the some of the illustrations there, they, they seem to be actually inspired by uh, by costume design uh, from from uh, performances of of Wagner's operas. So so they, it's just a, a one small example of how widespread uh, the influence of, of Wagner and his operas really became. And Wegner was a German composer, so am I right to say that these characters that, um, you know, the Valkyrie Brynhild and, and Sigurd that were all present in his operas would have been known to the people living in the country of Germany and going back to uh, Germanic mythology, not just Norse? Well, uh, I think already in the 18th century, we, we, we see this interest, at least within circles of, of artists, but uh, with Wagner becoming quite influential and popular. Of course, uh, it made a lot of people interested, but, but there were also scholars, there were translations, you know, there, there were so many things taking place at the same time. And, and uh, the influence was reaching far beyond the borders of Germany. Uh, in my book, I, I talk about one example, which is, uh, which is a town or, or a, yeah, a small town or a part of a town called Valhalla. And uh, the reason for this name to be uh, used uh, late in the 19th century, if I remember this correctly, 
was that uh, there were people living in the States who were really uh, keen on Wagner and even, you know, some musician who had taken part in performing Wagner's uh, music. So, so it, it's, it's just a, a small example of how, how widespread uh, influential works of art inspired by the old sagas and the myths uh, can become. And, and Wagner, I mean, you mentioned Tolkien before, you know, there are a few authors that have really been more influential than the others. As you have in your book, if we're to look at really the afterlife of the Eddas and sagas and how these myths were received throughout history, um, whether it be, you know, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's Marvel's The Mighty Thor, Wagner's operas, um, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien's works and mythological worlds. Do we see any particular myths or particular characters that really come up throughout, um, you know, different authors and different composers, ones that seem to be more popular than others? Probably. But uh, at the same time, just to be practical, I, I decided to focus on just a few texts. I work a lot with uh, The Lay of Thrymur, which is one of these Eddie poems. I work a little bit with uh, Snorri's Etta and then. Uh, Two or three sagas, primarily Njal saga and uh, and what is called the Vinland sagas. Actually, two different texts describing uh, people from Iceland and, and Greenland going to uh, North America. Uh, and all of these texts have been, you might say, popular with people who are recycling uh, this old material. But uh, but then, of course, uh, you know many of lesser known sagas, lesser known epic poems have been quite uh, quite popular too i mean in in uh, in the 19th century the most popular rewriting of the sagas was uh, done by a swedish uh, artist it's called frithjo saga and and nobody knows uh, the original text by now and and very few people are interested in frithjo saga the 19th century you can say that you know there are certain texts that are, are more popular than others. And, and then also, you know, a few texts that somehow pop up in some context and, and then they're forgotten. So, but the whole corpus is, is, is uh, being recycled again and again, you know, and, and, and in various contexts, you know, in, in, in rock music, in film, and nowadays in, in computer games. So there's a lot of material out there, definitely. Now, one thing I'm curious, after the Viking Age, throughout the rest of history, how did the Scandinavians and the Icelanders view their Old Norse Viking Age past? I mean, was it something that they were very proud of and embraced, or perhaps at different times in history? Was it something that they uh, were not too proud of and they, they loathed maybe due to um, the influence of Christianity or something like that? This is a very interesting question. When, when you read Snorri's Edda, or his, what is called Prosetta, he's really a bit battling with this question. He's, he's, he's trying to introduce to his Christian readers these old tales, but at the same time, he, he's reminding them that they should not believe in these tales. They are just uh, fairy tale stories. You shouldn't believe in them. You shouldn't become a heathen person by, by reading Snorri Edda. But I, I guess in Iceland, at least, for, for, uh, for centuries and centuries, uh, Icelanders would read from the sagas at nightly gatherings, and, and at least the, the Icelandic sagas, maybe uh, less the myths, 
were a source of inspiration, what was being what it was to be a hero, what it was to be a villain. And actually people would at their nightly gatherings they would discuss things, you know, discuss a certain character, certain decision, you know, was this the right decision? So it, it was very much a part of um, you might say moral discussion or moral upbringing in Iceland for, for, for centuries. Uh, these texts were, were less known in the rest of Scandinavia until, uh, you might say, 17th, 18th century. But, but it really is with the, the development of nationalism in Europe that the nations of Northern Europe start to uh, think about these texts more as, as uh, some uh, descriptions of, of national character as a part of their cultural tradition, etc. So you might say that, that during the past maybe 300 years, these texts are becoming more important uh, for the Scandinavian countries. And, and, and you see this taking place in, in 19th century Scandinavia with you know, almost all of the capitals of the Scandinavian countries having some names that are taken either from the mythology or the sagas. So, so it's, it's, it, it becomes a corpus that, that nations start to refer to, to say, well, this is a part of our past. This is a part of our history. This is what makes us a nation, hmm. if you see what I mean. Certainly. Absolutely. Well, uh, Professor Helgeson, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute delight speaking with you. And I really did enjoy your book, Echoes of Valhalla. And I will put a link to it in the description below. For those of you listening, I really do recommend this. It's really a delightful read and very comprehensible as well. But Professor Helgeson, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure.